0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now, lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. We're uh, continuing our series today called "Grace to You and Peace." If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and find your way in the New Testament to First Corinthians, chapter eleven. Of course, uh, "Grace to You and Peace." The the heart behind this series is that we're hearing from the Apostle Paul in his letters to the churches. And uh, we're, we're going along with our Bible reading plan. So if you haven't joined us in that, it's one chapter a day. We'd love to have you join us. And by the way, if you don't know your way around the Bible, that's totally cool. We're totally, you, you, you should not feel embarrassed at all about that. Um, this is not a place for everybody who has it all figured out. This is a place where anybody's welcome, whether, whether you've read a Bible before or not. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we want to send you home with one today. So make sure you reach out to us, or if you're watching online and you like one, we'd love to mail you one. Um, so we're hearing from the Apostle Paul during this series, letters that he wrote from wherever he was to the churches that he had been a part of planting and leading. And it reminded me of a letter I once got. How many of you, have you, any of you ever gotten a Christmas card from a prisoner? Any of you? I got one. This is uh, from 2017. Um, this was actually the, about the fifth letter I got from uh, a guy that I had met via correspondence from the Chukawalla Valley State Prison in Southern California. And um, it was interesting, his his story. His name's Brian uh, Modulin. I'll show you a picture here in just a moment. Um, but Brian reached out to me because of what God had been doing in his life. Crazy story this guy had been through. In fact, by the time I got that Christmas card, that was about the fifth or sixth letter I had gotten from him. He had reached out to me in 2016 while he's in prison. And it uh, turns out that back in 1998, he was arrested and convicted of murder for hire and given 25 years to life in prison. So in 2016, he reached out to me, and you're like, why is a murderer writing to you? Well, uh, God changed his life in prison, as God does, right? Good reminder for all of us, you've not gone too far. We are hearing from the apostle, but yeah, we can celebrate that. You've not gone too far. God can forgive you for anything. We're hearing from the apostle Paul in the New Testament, who turns out was also a murderer. And God changed his life, and he became a preacher and a, a church planter. And so, you've not gone too far. Well, that was Brian's story. And so, in prison, God got a hold of him, and uh, that was back in 1998 that God changed his life. And then, well over a decade later, he decided that he just wanted all of his life to be lived for the Lord. And so he decided to reach out to Calvary Chapel Bible College out there in Southern California and started taking correspondence classes. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about like online courses that would be like, you know, you with some some AirPods and watching a message. I'm talking about they mailed him CDs in prison. And he listened fast forward, rewind, hit play, pause on a CD player, took notes and typed out notes and, and research projects on a typewriter in prison. Okay? God was just changing his life. So w- turns out one of the courses that he took was one was a block class that I had flown to California to, to teach about church planting. So 2013, I taught this church planting block block class in Southern California, Calvary Chapel Bible College. He took my class and then just had the wild idea that maybe Kevin would talk to me more about ministry and life and church planting. So he sent me this letter. I got this first letter uh, back in 2016. And it's just this whole, it's it's actually kind of funny when I look back at, an, at it now because he sent me like his uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College grades like just so that I know he's not some crazy guy. He sent me references. He's he's like, I'm in jail for murder, but I just want you to know I'm a nice guy and God's changed my life. So he's just asking me like, would you mentor me via mail? He had no plans on ever getting out of prison. And uh, so I was like, man, I guess I could write some, I've never had a pen pal, but sure. I mean, I didn't, Imagine my pen pal would be in prison for murder, but I'd be happy to write you. So three and a half years later, I have, I have notes. I have all of these letters that I have written back and forth to Brian. And, uh, and then early 2019, I got a letter from him that said, hey, here's something crazy. Uh, they are reviewing my case for a potential release. I might actually be able to get out of prison. So he asked if I would send him a letter of reference. And uh, that's one of the letters that I kept in here when I got the, got the letter back from the state prison that said that uh, they had received my reference. So I was praying for him as he went through the psych evaluation. And uh, November, almost Thanksgiving Day last year, He was released. He was found suitable for parole and released by a miracle. I'm telling you, like, lots of people, he's told me, lots of people have tried to explain it away, and it's a miracle that he was released from prison. And so he was uh, put then in kind of a, a, a rehab center out there in California as he kind of gets back into society. It's a place where a bunch of people who have been in prison for life terms and have gotten out are there, and they just kind of learn about society and they can get a job and, and all of that so that happened at the end of two thousand and nineteen and then, in January of this year i I was heading on a trip out to California, so I just thought i 'll just reach out to Brian and see if it 's possible for us to meet up and I actually got to meet Brian for the very first time this year. January, 2020 in Laguna Beach. We brought a picture, I think, um, of us having, we had seafood on the beach. And I actually, that's him with my book, Come Hell or High Water, because I actually wrote about him in the epilogue of my book. And I, I signed a copy for him and gave it to him. And I don't know if he's read it yet, but but I gave it to him. And, and, it, and it was just so cool to be able to sit there and just talk about all that God has done in his life. And I wanted you guys, I wanted to share that story today because I wanted you to know that nothing you've done is too far. There's nothing that's unforgivable. And so I wanted to make sure that you heard Brian's story today, and so I want to share it with you. But I felt like instead of me sharing it with you, it might be better for Brian to share it with you. Would you welcome Brian Modulant to the stage? Come on, Brian. Come on up. You can, come, you can come right here. Come on. Can you put your hands together one more time for Brian? I got a mic in here somewhere. There we go. Did I surprise you? That was my goal. Surprised me. <laughs> so, Brian, tell us a little bit about um, what brings you. I know right now you're, you're still living in California. Yes. But you're on a travel leave right now in, and you're in Arkansas. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about what's going on in Arkansas, and uh, and we'll get to your story, but tell us a little bit about why you're out in this part of the world right now.
1: Okay, um, well, I got a chance to come out and visit home, haven't been home in 22 years, and uh, my parole agent gave me a month off, um, just finished classes, as you said, and so I was able to surprise my mother. I um, was actually talking to her as I was driving in the driveway to uh, make sure she was awake, and... And decent, <laughs> and uh, so I just hung up the phone. I said, "Hey, mom, I'll call you in a l- in a little bit." She goes, "Okay." And I remember the house looked different than it did 22 years before. So I tried the first door, and it was open. So I walked in, and then I started getting scared, hoping I was at the right house. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to be go well if it's the wrong house. Right. And then, uh, so I went in the second door. It was open, and and in Southern California, guys, you got to lock your door just to take the trash out. And uh, uh, here, this house is open, and. I got about 10 feet in, and and I saw my mother in our home for the first time in 22 years. And I just said, hey, Mom. And she just got up and just started saying, Brian, Brian. And um, we hugged, and and, uh, she cried, and I didn't. So
0: uh, (laughs) I was just going to say, I'm not crying. You're crying.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but anyway, it was great. And that night with my sister and my mother, we had dinner for the first time at home. And over 22
0: years, it's, amazing. It's a blessing. Amazing, Brian. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, amen. Um, so we've got just a mm-hmm. real quick, limited time to share in a nut in a nutshell some of your story. So I wanna I wanna let you primarily do the talking, mm-hmm. but let's just let's just kind of fill in some of the some of the pieces of your story leading up to uh, the crime, your arrest. Like what? happened in your behind the scenes in your life leading up to that and then give us you know they don't know the details of of what happened there so give them a little idea of of the crime that took place and all of that
1: okay um i think it's important to know that i didn't just wake up one day and decide to take another person's life it actually took 23 years of bad decisions unresolved issues for me to get to the point to where i could kill another person and um and all that intricacy, three main things stand out. And, and one, I had a, a desire to gain my father's approval. Um, number two, I had low self-esteem. And, and three, I was sexually abused when I was eight or nine years old. And years later, by a school teacher, uh, attempted to. And I never dealt with those. So those three things were, were boiling under the surface of my life that, that propelled me to take someone's life.
0: And I know that part of the insecurity, you've, you've told me, is the loss of your arm. Yes. Fill us in on that.
1: Um, when I was 18 years old, about a month before my 19th birthday, um, I went out for a night on the town in San Antonio, Texas. And I woke up the next day with no right arm and a broken back and um, discovered that I was the victim of a drunk driving accident. And for a kid that had self-confidence issues before, um, losing your right arm at eighteen doesn't put you in the brooding with confidence category. So that definitely devastated me and and set me back.
0: And so then, uh, so you're you're dealing with all of that, and then walk us through what happened on the 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 weeks and the days leading up to the the crime. Tell us about that. Okay.
1: Um, one of the ways I coped was objectifying people and the pursuit of possessions. Um, I had to get them quick, so I turned to selling drugs. Um, Drugs led me to um, a life where I normalized violence and criminal activity. And um, also because I never dealt with my abuse, I engaged in same-sex experimentation. But it didn't validate me. It just brought to the surface all the shame and the guilt and the uncleanness that I had as a kid. And so a desire for my father's approval normalizing violence and that recent experimentation just made me an angry angry person and I was searching for a way to validate myself and then my father called me one morning and asked me if I would find someone to kill Paul who was molesting his eight-year-old daughter.
0: So you got a call from your dad. Yes. About can we we need we need to get rid of this guy. Yes. And what was it in you that made you say, I can take care of that?
1: Um, Because in one action, I thought I could validate and redeem my life. I could become the man that my father never was. Um, I didn't do anything when I was molested but run. Now I was able to do something about it. And um, getting away with selling drugs and everything for three years made me think it would be easy just to hop into another state and take another person's life.
0: So just with a few details, describe that day when when the crime went down and and how you were arrested.
1: Um, I tried two times before to take Paul's life. Um, The day that it finally happened, September fifteenth, nineteen 1998, I sat outside of a daycare center waiting for him to pick up his son, Um, unsure whether or not I could actually go through with it and and doubting my manhood. Um, Then I just said a prayer or something out. If I'm supposed to do this, have my favorite song come on. And I'm from Texas, been staying in LA, and now I'm in Riverside County. And all of a sudden, the song came on. I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw Paul's car. Um, When he drove by, I pulled into his wake, parked in his blind spot, and uh, walked up to the driver's side window and tapped on the glass. When I recognized the person on the other side of the glass with the man I saw in the photos, I just started to pull the trigger. Um, All the anger and the hate and the shame and the disgust that I had in my life, um, I poured out into Paul. And um, after I shot him 10 times, I dropped the gun, uh, fled back to Dallas-Fort Worth. And um, there the air marshals, well, not air marshals, but there the marshals and the police were waiting for me. And um, that's the last time I was a free man for over 21 years.
0: In a wild twist of that story, Brian was telling me on his flight out here, he had a layover in Dallas Fort Worth. Yes. First time you've been back in that same ar- airport. Yes. Twenty-two years later. Yes. As a free man, both physically free and spiritually free. You betcha. And God's a redeemer. Yeah, praise God. Praise That's God. That's so good. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Amen. Clap. So I. I I have a hard, I, I'm having a hard time not crying. Come on, clap or something. Man, that's so good. God's the redeemer. And that's what, that's what we have to understand today. So, so Brian, you, you flee to the airport. The marshals are waiting for you. They, they put you in prison. You're there in prison for 21 years. Walk us through a little bit of, I know I know our time's limited, but walk us through just some of the highlights of what God did in your life while you were there in prison. Okay, and um, broad strokes.
1: Okay. Uh, uh, I'd say a, a few months after I was incarcerated, um, I attended a Bible study. And um, there for the first time, God really got a hold of my heart. I asked the guy leading it if God forgives murder. And he took me to Romans 8.1, which says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all my life I thought church was something for kids, because their parents made them, or old people, because they couldn't have fun anymore. And, uh, uh, but for the first time, I, I started to read the Bible. And uh, uh, I started to read about Jesus. All my life I was taking and getting and abusing and being abused. But I started to read about Jesus, who came only to give, Jesus who lived a perfect life because I couldn't, Jesus who died on the cross so I wouldn't have to. And um, for a pardon like that, for a murderer like me, um, I couldn't refuse it any longer. So I gave my life to the Lord December of 1998. And for the next 10 years, because um, I was a mess and definitely hard-headed, um, he worked in my life and changed me until I kind of had my second awakening in 2008
0: yeah talk to us a little bit about that the, it, you kind of came to this realization in 2008 that was like another turning point in your life is that right yes tell us about that yeah
1: um for 10 years guys um i was in prison some of the worst prison yards in california and um i was a convicted child molester and that's a badge of honor in prison and right, a, you had killed a convicted I, I killed right a right. person that was a child molester right or so we thought.
0: Right. And um, And so in prison, that's kind of a badge of honor that you killed him.
1: Yes, yes. And so God put upon my heart that I was still trying to find my identity in something else besides Christ. And um, I finally had to come to the resolve that that day in 1998, I didn't kill a child molester, but I killed a mother's baby boy. I killed a father, a son, um, someone that was special. And I didn't do it because of What he supposedly did, I did it because I wanted to prove myself. And um, when I came to that conclusion and stopped hiding behind it, then I had to realize that I was a monster and that I destroyed countless families just for my own validation.
0: Wow. So you're a decade in now of walking with the Lord. And what was it then that caused your desire to reach out to want to do school and learn more about God's word?
1: Okay. Um, after that second awakening, um, God really did a work in my life. And two years later, I decided that there's nothing more I want to do than give my life back to the one that gave his life for me. Um, so I needed to get educated. And so I started attending Calvary Chapel Bible College. And um, towards the end of my degree, that's when I took your uh, church planning
0: class. Yeah. Yeah. And you told me it was all right.
1: Oh, no. hey, <laughs> Hands down. I broke a CD player listening to his course so many times.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. So I I can just only imagine you there in, in state prison listening on a CD player, typing on a typewriter. That's wild. And I love that. God just met you there. In fact, one thing we didn't get a chance to share, but you've told me that um that Bible study that changed your life in nineteen ninety-eight. When we think Bible study, I don't know what you have in mind, maybe a hundred prisoners in this big place. No, it was you told me it was four four guys in a in kind of a grungy stairwell, yes. and there was a guy with a Bible, and that's what changed your life. Yes. That's and I love God, that because I just felt like you know, it's a good reminder for us. We expect God often to meet us in the big place, the church, the, our time in the Lord, when everything's perfect. But I just love that God pursues us in the grungy stairwell of a state. Amen. State prison.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Like he's Amen. there.
0: He's there with you in your struggle and in your pain and in the consequences of your sin. And that, man, that is, that is just so gripping, so powerful. So you reached out to me, we wrote a bunch of letters over the years. I got my first ever joy to the world Christmas card from prison um which I think is like the apostle Paul writing Philippians from prison, which is the the theme is joy and man, it's it's amazing. So walk us through just real quick to close um let let's talk talk a little bit about how you got out cuz it was miraculous that you're even outside of prison today?
1: Um, As as a lifer, I never had a guaranteed release. You have to go through too much stuff to get released. And um, I remember for years beforehand, guys kept on telling me, uh, they called me Lefty in prison. So they're like, hey, Brother Lefty, if you want to get out of prison, you got to stop concentrating on God and start working on getting out. And I remember telling them time and time again that my number one priority is not to get out of prison but it's to become the man that God wants me to be. And if he gets me out of prison along the way, then praise God. Uh, so I just continued to invest myself in God, in service, and in leading his people. And then um, when I went before the parole board in 2019, I was sure of two things. Number one, that um, for all the reasons why I took Paul's life, it had nothing to do with him and everything to do with me. And then number two, if God... If I believed that God was going to use me one day to lead his people, then I had to believe he could do the first step, and that's get me out of prison. And I was released five months later.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, And God. so
0: you have a vision on your heart one day to plant a church. Is that right? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> Brian, we're so honored to know you. Thanks Amen. for being here. Thank you, guys. Can praise we thank God. you one more time for being here? Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Wow, 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 come on, can we just say thank you, come on, a little bit louder, how good is God, wow, yes, all right, I only got like seven minutes, sit down, come on, we got time for standing ovations. All right, First Corinthians eleven. Oh, wow. Um, that was a in a, a very short time, just highlights of his story. And I knew that our time would be limited today, so uh, I asked Brian to get up early, and he and I got here at seven this morning, and we recorded like a whole forty-minute interview that we're going to be putting together over the next couple of weeks, and you'll be able to hear a lot more that we got to share today, but. The point of me bringing Brian in today was to illust- illustrate the truth behind First Corinthians 11, which is we're going to take communion here in just a couple moments together. And uh, communion is a reminder that God can use the most tragic, horrific things for his glory and for our good. Do you believe that? Amen. Brian's story is proof of that. Many of you are proof of that. And the greatest proof is the cross. Brian went to prison for 21 years for murder for hire. Today we celebrate our salvation because of Jesus' murder for hire. 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 23, Paul writing he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you think, as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I have just some quick notes that I jotted down to share with you. I promise this will be fast. Five quick things that communion is. You're like, you have four minutes. How are you going to do this? Let's go. Number one. Communion is a commandment, not a suggestion. Jesus, multiple times with his disciples, Paul is quoting the Gospel of Luke here, and uh, Jesus says multiple times, do this. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not fun. It's not just for fun or a snack. This is a commandment. Jesus said do this. In fact, in verse 26, where Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, the idea, the point is not the frequency in which you do it, but the consistency that you do it regularly. Communion, the Lord's Supper. Number two, write this down about communion. It's a celebration, not just a tradition. In fact, depending on if you grew up in church or some sort of religion, Uh, religion that does communion, like Catholicism, you might have heard the Lord's Supper called Eucharist, which uh, basically just means giving thanks. And it comes from this text where it says that Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And so the idea is that this is a a, a celebration. We celebrate. Now, what's interesting about communion is it's kind of two two sides— It's a solemn reminder on one side. Verse 26 says that when we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death. But on the other hand, it's a celebration because verse 26 says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's good news, right? So it's a look back at the death and the betrayal, and it's a look forward at his conquering return, the second coming of Christ. Here's a third thing about communion you have to know. Number three, communion is a reminder for the forgetful. I mean, leave it up to us to forget God's grace in our lives, right? I mean, we are obviously forgetful people if Jesus had to leave behind a reminder and command us to do it so that we wouldn't forget the most unforgettable event in human history, but leave it up to us to forget it. And so, God, this is something God did all throughout Scripture. He often helped his people by telling them to build a memorial, or in this case, have a meal that was a reminder of his faithfulness. And that's exactly what this is, because forgetfulness is an enemy of our faith. And communion is a weapon against forgetfulness. Number four, I told you I could do this fast. Write this down. Communion is a sermon for the senses. Um, when, when Paul writes in verse 26 that as often as you drink the, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the word proclaim there is often in the New Testament translated as preach. So when we take communion, we're preaching. You didn't even know you were preaching today. I'm about to turn it over to you here in the next few moments. We're going to take communion as we sing, and you're the preacher. What are you preaching? You're preaching about the betrayal and death of Jesus, the blood and body that was shed and broken for us. And you're, we're going to do it until the Lord comes back. We look back on the cross and we look forward at the second coming. and We're visual learners, and Jesus knew that about us. That's why he left us the Lord's Supper, communion, because it involves all the senses, doesn't it? Taste. Touch, smell, sight, sound. We're doing all of that as we take communion together. And and so the Lord's Supper is a multi-sensory sermon where we're reminded of God's faithfulness. And the fifth thing is that communion requires preparation. I didn't read verses 27 through 32, but if you read it, it is a solemn warning to take communion seriously. Too many people treat it the wrong way, turn it into a religious tradition. Or in the case of the Corinthians, they turned it into this gluttonous feast where they would gorge themselves with food and get drunk. And Paul tells them, you guys are doing it all wrong. That's not the point. Go home and eat come together so that we can take this meal and remember Jesus' sacrifice. Verses 27 through 32 is a pretty solemn warning. In fact, Paul even tells them, some of you are sick and some have died because they have not taken this seriously. The point here is not preventing us from communion, but helping us prepare for communion, helping us understand the value of this and understanding that there's a correct way and an incorrect way to take the Lord's Supper. And unfortunately, the Corinthians gave us a good example of how not to do it. You can read starting back in verse 17, if you'd like an example of why not, how not to do it. And I think Paul's point here in these verses, verse 27 through 32, is real simple. Either you learn some self-discipline or God will bring his discipline. And as followers of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, part of the fruit of the Spirit, the proof of a changed life is self control. That doesn't mean you're always controlled, that means you're allowing the Holy Spirit more and more to control you, self control. And so I don't think there's a better illustration, reminder of the power of God to redeem than the cross of Jesus Christ. When we take communion, in fact, I hope on your way in that you got a communion cup. Let me dig through my letters here. I know I have one. I hope you got a communion cup and the communion cup is a reminder of the body and the blood of Jesus. And we're going to we're going to do this here in a moment together before you do this. We're going to pray and we're going to sing. But listen, I I want to I want to just remind us here that if if God could use, if the Father could use the death of His Son to bring us to salvation, there's nothing He can't use in your life for His glory and for your good. No matter How far you've gone, no matter how much you've failed, no matter how much shame you are living under right now, I'm here to tell you today that you are listening to this message right now so that God can set you free from anything you've done so that you don't have to pay the price for your sin because Jesus took it for us. That's the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That you don't have to die because Jesus already did. Hebrews 2.19, by the grace of God, Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. Here in a few moments, we're going to taste death through communion. God used Jesus' murder for hire to set us free. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The going rate for a slave in the Roman Empire. That price led the mob to Jesus, who arrested him, beat him, crucified him. But the best news is, come on, he didn't stay dead, right? This is why we celebrate not only looking back, but looking forward, because he's coming again. And I think the best way for us to end is by asking, are you ready for that day? If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're ready, but you need to be preparing even more. Are you sharing that good news with people? Are you, are, are you hands-on with God's movement driving it forward? And, but if you don't know Jesus, listen, that can change right here today. We didn't have time to read verse 27 through 32, but it's a, it's a reminder that you can't just take communion as a religious tradition. It's a celebration of what Jesus did for you. And so I want to pray for us, but but the most important thing that we need to do today is that if you don't know Jesus, I'm not telling you today, don't take communion. I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus, give your life to Jesus here when when I invite you, and then you can take communion like you've never taken it before. It has all new meaning for you because his body and his blood was shed and broken for you.